This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mignon. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumablet. And our topic this week is... Hardware preservation in the context of cellular network shutdowns. Oh, interesting. Uh, first, we have some follow-up? Yes, we do. So, in about a year ago, more or less, uh, in episode 158, and I love this title, Grand Spa's Current Conspiracy Theorist Ads, I love this title. Every time we need to talk about electric car, I'll always name the title because I love it so much. Uh, I personally discuss the EV pipeline of cars coming in 2021 and 2022. Uh, and part of the episode was about electric cars because uh, it was around that time that we saw the introduction or the announcement of the uh, GMC Armor AV, the Rivian pickup trucks, of course, this Tesla Cybertruck. Uh, and also the uh, Ford F-150 Lightning. Uh, and this year, during CES, uh, yes, CES this year was A, pr- uh, present and live with people. That was weird. And B, it was more a car show than an electronic or consumer electronic show. But Chevrolet showed their latest addition to their EV lineup of cars. And I'm sure you get, you're get you're having a small hint of where this is going. And yes, it is another pickup truck. So they've announced the Chevrolet 2024, yes, the 2024 Chevrolet Silverado EV. And it was like when they announced the GMC Armor EV uh, 18 months ago, it was rumored that they would use the same technology to bring it to their no, quote-unquote normal pickup trucks and electrify their pickup trucks. And now we see the first installment of that. So currently, you can contact your Chevrolet dealership to pre-order one and as I mentioned it will be a model year 2024 and rumors are and GMC is in thing GM excuse me is in thing that uh, those cars will get released summer 2023 fall 2020 if you're lucky and if the chip shortage is improving I guess uh, the, the latter part is me spitballing but more or less, if you were to put a small deposit, which I think is like the Cybertruck $100, uh, you might expect to receive yours in 18 months to two years, which is crazy. But again, uh, it seems that Tesla's the way they sell their cars and especially uh, like announce their new models so early to kind of like create some hype around them that normal or old school uh, car manufacturer are trying to do the same while joining the bandwagon of having electric fleet of cars. So I strongly suggest you to, to uh, not to tweet, but to Google it. Uh, because I think if you didn't, if you were, if you saw somebody that is interested in an electric pickup truck, but didn't look like the look of the GMC Armor EV, I think you will be uh, possibly gladly surprised or reassured that quote unquote normal style pickup truck style pickup trucks are getting out with an electric power plant. Next item of follow-up is about my last episode of 2021, episode 173, iOS 14 deployment target, where I spent a lot of time talking about the new changes in UI collection view when you use the iOS 14 SDK. Uh, And recently, I think it was during the holiday, I'm sure if you look at the date on the Twitter thread, I'm about to I will include in the show notes. Uh, I ran into it while scrolling through the Twitter, and this was a great thread because it was demoing or I was instructing developers that there's still purpose to UI table view. Uh, 
And, and the example they use for, especially this clear example, is that while iOS 14 SDK gain great improvements in UI collection view to build one column lists using UI collection view, there are still magic tricks that UIKit does when you use UI table view. And the example they use is when you build a setting screen and you want to turn on and off settings using a UI switch, so a toggle switch. And they're more or less saying that UI switch should be used in conjunction with the UI table view cells accessory view property because UIKit will make the switch target area to aim, to uh, toggle it on and off bigger than it looks on screen. Uh, since the latest iOS the redesign, the um, UI switch size on screen was always less than 44 points tall, which is what Apple's human interface guidelines suggest that all your touch elements should be. But because of padding and everything, the real target area height when you use a UI switch in UI table view cell is closer to 44 points. But if you were to do that in your UI collection view cell, sadly, those magic tricks are not yet implemented by Apple. So um, the person, Jeff, oh my goodness, I'm not uh, trying to pronounce that, but you'll see uh, Jeff's uh, thread on in our show notes. Uh, he suggested that there are still valid case to use UI table view cell in 2021, even if the temptation to just use UI collection view everywhere in the application where you need lists or different style of lists is strong with the launch of new APIs in 14 and in 15. And that's it for my follow-up. Benik, I know you have one item. Yeah, so uh, over the holidays, RetroTink firmware 2.34 came out, and this was the first uh, 2.x firmware to be publicly released uh, on the RetroTink 5x. And it was a pretty significant update, to be honest. Uh, A lot of the things that I said were limitations of the RetroTink 5x on my uh, previous episode about uh, this stuff, which I unfortunately did not note down the number for because I sort of did this uh, on the fly. A lot of those limitations are now gone because they've added so many uh, edge case options to the firmware that now you can just do a lot of the stuff that previously you needed an an OSSC to uh, be able to do. Uh, So now you have another option on the market for that. Uh, one of my favorite features of this new firmware is that now you can have up to 10 uh, saved profiles uh, that just save all of your settings into one slot and you can restore them very quickly. Uh, so what I do is I have uh, the first five of my profiles that are uh, for when I'm playing without capture. Uh, so it has all of my favorite scan line effects and everything set up. So I have one for uh, playing over SCART in 4x3. I have one for playing on uh, component video in 4x3. And I have one for playing component video 16x9. And I can just switch between those three settings whenever I want. But I also have parallel versions of those on profile 6 to 10, which are uh, scan lines off that I can use when I'm capturing video because I got a capture card for Christmas. Uh, So whenever I'm doing stuff for YouTube or Twitch, I can just quickly uh, just move over to the second column and same settings except without scan lines because scan lines can cause a bunch of issues if you're viewing at a not native size. uh, So you're trying to avoid that. Uh, so that was a really, really cool feature. And you just have like a ton more customization settings. Like you can do things like crop and zoom now. Uh, so if you have something like a super Nintendo with a super game boy, 
and you've got a Game Boy game that is within a frame of the 240p output of the Super Nintendo, you can now just crop out the rest of the image and zoom it up so that it takes your full screen and you've got a full Game Boy screen uh, scaled up instead of uh, your whole Super Nintendo picture with the outside frame as well. Uh, And you can do a bunch of different hacks. Like there are specific profiles on the internet for PSP and other consoles that have weird uh, video setups so you can get the perfect image. So uh, a lot of people, I think, in the retro gaming community really had a fun Christmas just messing around with all the new settings they got. Uh, and every couple days, uh, the Wobbling Pixels account on YouTube is posting a bunch of interesting new edge cases that have been enabled by these settings, like uh, correcting issues with PS2 games uh, that uh, you were using early SDKs. You can sort of undo them with uh, some of the RetroTINK settings that just allow you to fix it. So lots of fun stuff there. So if you were interested in a RetroTINK, but you were uh, disappointed by the lack of certain options that may be beneficial to your specific setup, uh, definitely give it a look again, uh, because there are good chances that the settings you needed are now available. Good. Is that it? Yes, it is. So we can move on to your main topic. Great. So as I said in the introduction, uh, this week, I want to talk about hardware preservation. And I wouldn't be surprised that you look at other podcasts or even at a lot of news or what people will say on the social network. And hardware preservation is always in relation with software because that's what will kind of get old fast compared to the hardware components itself. But for this week, uh, I want to focus about hardware and in talk about the context it lives in because there was two recent news uh, that made me two recent yeah two recent news that made me think about this topic in bigger details uh in the recent weeks and i kind of want to revisit those news uh and kind of a bit spoiler alert vent about that because uh, i think overall uh, i'm kind of in the they kind of made me nostalgic about certain hardware things that we will visit today part of this topic and i kind of wish that possibly in the future those would work because again spoiler alert uh, we're talking about hardware that won't work soon or may have already been stopped working so the first news item i want to discuss is the us 3g network shutdown that is happening throughout all the network carriers in 2022 and its impact on car infotainment systems <laughs> because yes this is a car topic in some fashion so the last decade was pretty big for a car infotainment system especially on them gaining network capabilities um, so what some while some of them were already like in the early 2000s they already had network capabilities but on the 2g uh, i'll summarize it by saying gsm network because for most of our north american or even european listener when we talk about 2g it means the gsm technology but i'm aware that 2g and 3g technologies were under cdma more on that later a good example of early network capabilities in cars that a lot of people might be familiar especially in north america is the gm onstar system which is supposed to be an there was supposed to be a voice driven navigation system and also a security system so when a car detects that you're you're an accident because the airbag got deployed or things like it would automatically call the emergency line like 911 here um, for you and for those 
they were based on 2G, moved to 3G, and even 4G now for other reasons. And even then before, like in the 80s and 90s, when we saw some of the bare bones of car infotainment systems or even in-car cell phones, because at that time, cell phones were not as small and sleek as what we have in our pockets. These days, they were big, huge. It was simpler to have another cell phone in your car if you were important enough to have a cell phone in 88, let's say. One of the first retailers to actually sell the iPhone was called Carphone Warehouse, I think it was called, which was like because they used to call them car phones because they were like the thing that sat in in between your two front seats or whatever. And it was like this giant briefcase. And and it's funny you mentioned this retailer because, again, uh, a YouTuber I quote a lot in the recent uh, months is M539 Restorations, where Stratton restores old BMWs and a lot of them on for the 90s, uh, the 80s and 90s. And guess what? They all have, not all, but a lot of them have the optional car phone system. And every time I see a review of an old luxury car, because again, uh, compared to car infotainment system, like car phones was kind of a luxury option. It was for yeah. business people and it was near impossible to get let, get it in your typical four or under car but if you had a bmw or mercedes benz or any luxury benz or even lexus when they launched in late 90s uh those were available and they all they all no longer work because again they were on old cellular technology that are completely dead but at least it's easy to get rid of in most cases in the car some other people might not want to get rid of for other reasons, for nostalgia and just for preserving the original form of the car. But I digress on car selling now and not uh, 3D shutdown. I'm pretty sure I saw a James Hoffman video where he was reviewing in-car coffee makers and like he made this super cool production where he got like this really like of the era luxury car that he was going to use his in-car coffee brewing equipment in and i'm pretty sure that car had a car phone in it just to be sure that it was like (laughs) top-notch production while we're on tangent the weird shit in cars from the 80s and 90s i wasn't sure if you said copy machine or coffee machine coffee not uh xerox but hear me out so it's not a copy machine but i think it was I'll attribute it to Doug DeMuro, but again, it might be somebody else. I watch YouTube videos, but I was watching an old, like, Toyota. I'm not sure if it's a Toyota Luxury or one of those. Oh, no, I said Luxury, but a Toyota Century. But one of those old 80s and 90s Toyota Super Luxury cars before Lexus was invented that was more or less built for the purpose of uh, being a diplomat's car or a government official car. And some of them, and I recall, I think it was a Toyota Luxury, had a cassette recorder. So you can take personal notes in your car oh, yeah, while you're yeah. being chauffeured around. So that's the copy machine made me remind, the, the <laughs> lapses of copy machine made me remind of that. But uh, I would like to see this video of the coffee machine. I'll try to find car. it. Because at least, uh, unless the machine itself is broken, this is possibly something that is still useful and it's not dependent on outside context like cellular networks no ignoring cell phone like in-car cell phone the era of in-car cell phone which to this day it makes sense that it was kind of a dumb idea because 
you could see that those this technology would get miniaturized that you don't have to have a car a phone in your car you can just use your phone and have a way for your car to talk with your phone which <coughs> bluetooth and that's what happened especially in the 2010s because i believe those will be remembered especially for the car ergonomics as the big two decades especially the 2007 or 8 to 2018 2017 this kind of a decade period over those two decades where car infotainment system more or less became mini smartphone physically attached to uh, your dashboard or inside the car's cabin and the more the more they gain functionality the more it started to make sense and you could see the engineering thinking is like okay yes i have gps data stored on a dvd a drive or even now on an R drive or now simply now an SD card or even a flash memory inside the infotainment system. But what if I can get real-time traffic data? Or again, what if my car's like 3G, 4G modem can be used as a tethered point where people can use its data plan. So you could see that those feature creep meant that the car infotainment system needs to not only exchange small telemetric data or small data packets from its car to the manufacturer's server or the internet, uh, but they built dependencies on I f- like fast cellular connection. So it meant that at the same time that the technology was evolving in the cars, having access to fast data on the go was also something quite that was gaining traction at the same time and also was evolving quite fast. Because if you think about it, that most of the systems that were introduced in 2008, 9, 10, um, that's also when, when you start to see the 3G phones, the 3G, let's, I'll call it the 3G plus, but the addition on top of 3G that some of the US manufacturer called 4G, but it's not really 4G <laughs> because it's not really LTE, but I digress again. Uh, all of those meant that in-car communication system and infotainment system are more or less based on 3G since their inception. Even if the UI got improved, even if functionality got improved, when the engineer were tasked, make this system talk with the cellular network, so it has internet access, the technology available at that time to get fast speeds was not through 2G GSM or 2G CDMA, even if 2G CDMA was way faster than 2G GSM, it was 3G. It was the new thing, and that was what you should do. So taking this assumption that all those car infotainment system and car communication system, again, to go back to your original example with the GM OnStar, like, this is still working and still available to all GM cars built to this day. They are using 3D technologies. And then if you mix that with the recent news, and again, uh, while researching for this episode, you saw that even if it's now big in the news in the last month or two, because for some US carriers, the date is in a few weeks. The best example I can give you is AT&T. Literally, it's February 22 this year, like in literally about 40 days. Um, some of those dates that I'll mention got pushed. Like they were in 2021. I guess a lot of the uh, business customer to Kiris complained. Uh, and then as the time of recording, 
um, the pending doom dates for U.S. carriers are as follows. AT&T, like I said, February, 2020, uh, February 22nd, 2022. Uh, Sprint, and when I say Sprint, I know they merged with T-Mobile, but I think it's they're mentioning here from the, the data source I found their CDMA 3G network, uh, March. When exactly in March? Not clear, but in March. Uh, T-Mobile in July and Verizon in December 31st, 2022. So depending on which carrier your car manufacturer uses, uh, you might get fucked in about 40 days or you might be lucky. But from what I've seen with a lot of the documentation around, a lot of them are using AT&T. So a lot of them are like freaking out right now. I kind of want to make a small tangent about the U.S. market, uh, the Canadian market, because again, I was reading a lot about the impending doom on those cars in the U.S., about other hardwares too that we'll talk. But I was like, if that's happening in the U.S. and nobody in the Canadian tech news is talking about that in Canada, I guess it means that we're safe. So let's talk about the big threes. Um, so there's three big carriers in Canada that are nationwide, Bell, TELUS, and Rogers. Um, Bell and TELUS, when they decided to move away from their CDMA network that they built independently, decided to build their GSM-based and 3G network together. Um, and they've announced more or less that it's going to be December 31st, 2025. And same thing for Rogers, December 31st, 2025. So if you have anything using 3G in Canada... You still have a couple of years ahead before the big carriers decided to shut down their 3G GSM networks. They have the, especially Bell and Telus, Rogers too. Uh, Rogers used to be the only 2G GSM carrier in Canada. So we went through the same type of thing that happened recently. I think it was in 2017 in the US with AT&T shutting down 2G. Uh, T-Mobile, according to what I've seen, is still allowing you to have 2G, 2G connectivity. But that's weird. Uh, and Bell and Telus in the past recent uh, years, um, I think Telus as early as 2017 and Bell in certain Canadian regions, I think, like, for example, Quebec was still the CDMA network was still live until uh, April 2019. So it seems that I don't know why per se, but it seems that our Canadian carriers for once, or I guess twice with 2G and now with 3G are a bit more kind. I'm surprised I'm saying that, <laughs> uh, knowing that we pay a shit ton of money for our plans, but I guess maybe that's why, but they're a bit more kind with shut it down or should I say sunsetting old technologies, uh, and, uh, allowing them to reuse the frequencies because the main reason why carriers are doing that to go back to come back on track with the topic is that carriers wants to reuse the same waves with newer technology people want 5g phone their 5g phone to get 5g speeds everywhere now that it is getting more and more common to get a 5g phone and a lot of the airwave views for 3g are lower frequency i don't want to go too into much detail about that but it it is told that lower frequencies are uh Allowing, allowing for faster speed and faster penetration into buildings and things alike. So you can see that the, there's clear reasons why the carrier wants to shut down those old network, reuse the same airwaves. They don't have to fight with the government to get new airwaves, spectrum, and all that fun stuff, and just provide better service to customers. That's 
have newer devices. But at this point, you're like, okay, we went on a tangent about the date and blah, blah, blah. But if the cures have been more or less ready about this sunsetting of the 3G network, how do you expect the car manufacturer to handle this situation? And I'll literally let you half of a millisecond to think about it. And that's it. Yes, that's literally that. You can imagine, and I'm sure that's what you guessed, they are mismanaging it as fucked. Like, literally, like, <laughs> like they didn't even see it coming. And the reason it is really bad, and I'll put the link in the show notes because I don't want to go through all each manufacturers, what's their situation. Google it. Hopefully, at this point in January 2022, you might have even received a letter from the car manufacturer to say, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, please contact us or sorry you're losing service um but i'll put in the show note a great article from the drive that will tell you will help you they got official quotes from some car manufacturer but i just want to quote them for a sec just to illustrate how bad the car manufacturer's situation is quote at the same time the response from car companies has been uneven at best. And as, as we'll explain here, automakers' plan range from upgrading people's vehicle from 4G to 5G, for a fee of course, to shrugging their, shrugging their shoulders excuse me, and quietly acknowledging that their car are about to lose a lot of functionalities. End quote. So again, I recommend you that if you haven't received any news and you know that you have some of those types of features like remote lock unlock remote starting of your car not from the key fob but from a nap for example uh, that you go read this article go find a response that they've got from the car manufacturer it was written in early december and some manufacturer didn't give them an official response on what's going to happen with their car so uh yeah it's pretty bad i would also strongly suggest that you contact yourself the car manufacturer or even your local leadership uh especially if you're in the u.s right uh because if your car relies on at&t you more or less have 40 days before you lose access or you need an update so as mentioned in the quote from the drive here's more or less what happens worst case scenario your car uses at&t and on February 2023, uh, no, on February 23rd, 2022, you no longer have access to those functionality. The car will just be like, I have no cell signal. That's it. That's all. You lose access. And hopefully you're still not, you're not still paying a subscription. Or if you are, they're about to cancel it because you might be paying money for no reason. Uh, in certain situations, I think a good example was Tesla. All the cars built before 2015 only have a 3G modem. Uh, cars built after 2015, I think it's a, I think it's June 2015. I didn't take it out, but it's mentioned in uh, the drive article. Cars after that, they all have 4G, 4, 4G modems, and they all have received the over-the-year update to uh, make sure that they use the right uh, network and all that fun stuff. Uh, you can pay a $200 USD fee to change the modem. Uh, some of them in the middle uh, can push an over-the-air update to the current module so that it 
I guess it looks for the right network and that will just work. So they have the model that is physically capable of doing th- two, 3G and 4G. And again, I, I think it, it is worth repeating. Worst case scenario, tough luck. Your uh, somewhat modern car is losing access to those functionality. But I, I guess my main concern is fundamentally like what functionality well okay there there are two concerns first of all is like how much do you trust the car companies software developers to not require a network for basic dumb shit that shouldn't require the network and the second thing is like really like when you get down to it what functionality are you losing by not having that subscription like for, for for me, a lot of the stuff that infotainment systems provide is just superfluous garbage that was uh, that was obviated by this by stuff like AirPlay that uh, not AirPlay, sorry, uh, CarPlay, because the phone is always going to do a better job. Like it's stupid that this shit is built into your car uh, to me, and it's like it's like well, yeah, now we're paying the price for that bad decision that you made early on. <laughs> You're making a good point, and I don't want to answer it too much because you, you, we'll uh, talk about it right after because there's a couple of examples I want to give you. I, I've uh, taken note of specific car model you might have bought because I I just said that some, like your recent-ish car, but for some car manufacturer, when I said recent-ish, I should have said literally your new car. So you're correct that you might be losing access to features that you were not using. But a lot of those connectivity packages, you still paid an option when you bought your car for it, yeah. uh, which included free three or four year service. Then after you have to pay a monthly fee. But there are examples, and it was supposed to be my second example, but because you asked a good question, I'll start with that. And I know I'm about to talk about Porsche. It doesn't mean that you have a lot of money to buy a new Porsche. I know. But hear me out for a sec because uh, it was the car that was the, that had the 3G modem that was still sold in 2021. <laughs> and the funny part about the Porsche situation is that if you go on their website, you read their official documentation, they say that some, they, they are able to tell you which car are impacted by the 3G shutdown. So you know, okay, my car is impacted. I might be using a Porsche Connect or Porsche Connect Plus. I forgot the name exactly. Uh, But it is a stupid name like this. Uh, And they're like, certain cars, certain models can be upgraded. We'll contact you to tell you. (laughs) It's like, I just bought a quite expensive car, a Porsche 718 Boxster or 718 Cayman in 2021. I supposedly paid for an option that will give me free service for a couple of years because I added it from the factory. And now you're possibly telling me that the worst case scenario is in a couple of weeks. I paid for this option for no reason. But like, uh, that's why those kinds of options to me have always seemed like the sucker's option. Like, you shouldn't be buying that shit because it has a time bomb on it. It's and I, I mean, like, I, I think of this because I work in tech, so I know that there's right. a time bomb, right? Like, maybe your yeah, normal yeah. person isn't going to think that, but I think the same fucking thing when like someone has a BMW with navigation, and I'm like, well, why the fuck did you buy this? You have a phone in your pocket. Like, it, it seems like. Maybe this is just my personal bias that like car companies are so fucking bad at technology (laughs) 
that you shouldn't be paying them for technology. You should be paying them the least possible for technology. In fact, you should probably buy a Subaru, which is bad at technology and includes as little as possible in their cars. You say that, but Subaru is one of my examples. And I know you were about to bring it up. So let's say you're like Yannick and you like Impreza's and especially the one from 2016 to 2018. Um, Subaru's upgrade plan is not so bad, but it's a bit weird because they say if you have an active subscription to their service, does the free maybe two years or I, I know it depends, but every car manufacturer always give you this service for free. I know my brother, for example, bought a Kia a minivan recently and they do have those service for free for the next three years. Uh, and it's funny because it goes, kind of oh, it's for free. It's included. And then you'll see when you'll, you'll see it's so new. I think he was telling me that, oh, it's so new that we don't even know what we'll charge in three years for it. <laughs> but don't worry about it. It's free for now. So you, I agree with you about car companies are not being so great at technology. But again, let's go back to our car uh, Subaru example. So you bought a 2016 Subaru Impreza and you were a sucker. You were paying for their subscription like service to remote start, lock, and all the fun stuff. Um, so if you have an active subscription, you can visit your Subaru dealership, book an appointment, and they'll do an upgrade to the starting system. That's what they say. Is it a physical upgrade? Is it just an over... Not, I wouldn't say an over the air because they want you to go to the dealership, but this is a software update? Don't know. They don't mention it. They just say, go to your super, super dealership. If you're somebody that bought or that is willing to buy a car for, on the used market and maybe you find that some of the security features that, you know, when the airbags deploys, I don't know if the starting does that, but Again, using my OnStar example, if you feel that is a good, if you feel that it reassures you to have that and you're willing to pay $10 a month to have that, like, I'm nowhere to judge you. It is a brilliant technology for that front that when the car is airbag deploys, it automatically calls 911. Um, that's fine. And maybe people are fine that, but the fact that there's so much like, edge cases to those uh those upgrade plans like the super ones like okay yes but what if i buy somebody else 2016 super yeah. impreza and i want to activate the plan can then i go to the dealership like in two years and get the update you know what this reminds me the most of is when we were talking about uh playstation vr on ps5 and they're like oh well we're going to need the serial number of your ps5 we're going to need the serial number of your psvr box and we're going to send you the one dongle you are allowed to have <laughs> to plug it up to your ps5 and if you don't have it anymore well tough luck <laughs> you can't buy one right right and there are a couple of other examples. I think the last one, like you, you, you saw the spectrum. And again, there's an example I didn't mention because it's like tough luck. It stops working. But another one, like those ones were the, uh, I liked to, I, I liked them because they were like, literally, you could be the first owner and you might have bought your car, like not even two years ago. So you still be under warranty. You still be part of those like, uh, like free trials that are like years long for you to pay in the end because they know that typically people will buy a car, will keep it for six, seven years these days and they would still want the software revenues after the two, three years for those services. But to me, it's like, you're not thinking about it. Like, why are you putting a 3G modem in a 2020, 2021 cars? Yeah. 
without thinking about the fact that the carriers and again it was supposed to happen at some point and from my understanding it's not news that it was going to happen this kind of thing is actually really funny because i also think it applies on the software side where you look at like all of these car manufacturers who have these really shitty apps on the app store to do this shit Mm -hmm. with and you're like if you are barely capable of keeping track of something as fundamental as the radio in your whole setup, how are you expected to keep up with Apple's dumb shit every year? <laughs> like, it, to me, it's a miracle that this functionality works at all, let alone will work after the 3G networks are shut down. Right. And I think that's why I started with this example, because this is example... This is the one that worries me the most because we see it as a trend that is not stopping. You mentioned it like right now, my personal car is totally fine. I don't really even use the the infotainment system from Ford in it, even if I think it's okay. It's not too bad because I plug CarPlay and it gets all the functionalities that I like. Uh, you can go in past episode. There was functionality I wish CarPlay would do that are a bit more integrated with a car uh, but will it be willing for me to pay for this maybe not but if we look at the current electric cars and again tesla is a best example of full-on like over the year updates over the air telemetry over the year everything like it like a smartphone like instant and always on connection to the tesla servers can you imagine when when, when this will disappear and it's funny because it made me think about a lot of the other things like cars. It's fu- it's easy to do- to to ding the car manufacturers because yes, they're bad at software, but I believe still that we're dinging them on their worst years because this is improving. Will it ever be as good as Apple and Google and all those companies? The jury's still out on this, but if they continue doing dumb, stupid decisions like these. Like, this literally means that your car will literally become an iPhone where it's like you want to throw out after a couple of years because it's worthless. But that's the thing that fascinates me about CarPlay and Android Auto is that those technologies are anti-forced obsolescence because your phone changes, but the protocol stays the same. You plug your new ass phone that you get next year in your car and it's still going to work and it keeps your car relevant for longer. So it's like, I understand that the car companies are are like any other technology company wants to own the whole stack themselves, or at least provide a stack that they own themselves as well as have uh, Android auto and CarPlay in parallel. But Honestly, there should be a car company that says, fuck this, we're going all in on CarPlay and Android Auto, and we are doing nothing ourselves, or the bare minimum ourselves, because this is the way forward. This is how you keep your car relevant. And of course, like I know the the logical reasoning for why they won't do that is they want to sell more cars, which is, I, I understand how the business works, but still, it would be so cool. Like That's my dream, because these machines are never good. Agreed, and I think... The fact that they are becoming better software companies, they also realize that software companies can make a lot of sh- a lot of money from their users, even if they sell hardware. And I think that's why they're more and more finding ways to have those connectivity services. Because if you give them a free for a year, but the the owner 
keeps the car for nine years, you can get a monthly fee for yeah. nine years. You just didn't sell a metal box with some batteries or not, or an internal combustion engine to them. And that's my worry is even if you look at the less connected cars compared, like the less connected electric cars, excuse me, uh, for Mackie, they still have like this, like the weird app, the, oh, your phone is your key, which is, as if you look at most of the car journalist reviews of this, it's unreliable as fuck. Uh, <laughs> Not surprised. Of course. Um, and it means that even for less technically or less technical cars, like the, f- the change to electric cars meant that car manufacturer was trying to put more tech in it. And I'm like, can I just get the electric power plant and keep my buttons on the dashboard and keep my CarPlay connection and that's it? Uh, I guess we can dream. I guess we can dream. I agree with you. So, well, I think a part of that is they want to justify the price of their devices and they have to make it feel like technologically on the bleeding edge to justify those prices because if they gave you literally like a Corolla with an electric motor and nothing different, nobody would want to pay the premium for it. That is true. That is true. It's funny because this situation, like I was reading a lot about all the cars, you know, I guess you start to learn from our previous episode that I can nerd out on car stuff. But as the tech nerd or the cell phone nerd in me, I was like, wait a sec. If it's a problem for cars, it's a problem for all the other things that uses 3G, like all the cell phones we still use. Kindles had that problem too. Right. And it was funny, especially last week, because so we're recording on the set on the 13th. Uh, and I'm kind of blanking on when was it exactly? January 9th. Yes, thank you. I, I, I wrote January X and I forgot to search. So, <laughs> uh, and I'm looking at my ISMH calendar and I cannot read. Oh, yeah, okay, I see it. January 9th now. Uh, but it was funny to see a couple of people booted back their uh, original iPhone that is using 2G uh in the recent weeks because of the 15 year anniversary of the announcement of the original iphone and i think uh one of the best that i've read about that was from steven trottlesmith and it was like i have an iphone origin like an iphone 2g still running iphone os 1.0 and it's crazy how most of the app doesn't work because all the server infrastructure is gone yep now the cell phone infrastructure is dead because it's a 2G phone. So you're barely stuck with an iPod Touch because the only possible way to use this phone is with Wi-Fi, which it's still easy to get this Wi-Fi speed that is supports, which I guess that's a great thing that with Wi-Fi, you can still run Wi-Fi like BGA and like all the old Wi-Fi stacks and Wi-Fi protocol for all the devices that do not support and it seems that you can still buy the new Wi-Fi 6 router and it will run Wi-Fi 1 if I use the, the number naming convention now and not the BGN. And, and unlike the PSP and the DS, it supports WPA2 correctly. So you can actually log Ooh. into modern networks instead of not securing your network to be able to use them with those devices. Yeah, or do like a like a, a temporary Wi-Fi just for this. Yeah. You, you go do your internet thing and then disable it. But yeah, so it meant that I started to look at like, what does it mean? Uh, again, 
I didn't care about the Android phones, and I'm sorry, <laughs> but I didn't care. So do your research. But I'm like, what does it mean for possibly like a parent, a friend that is not really technologically inclined? Like, I I always made fun of them, but up until two years ago, I, st- I still had friend rocking iPhone fours. Oh wow. And, Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was making fun of them, but uh, I digress. I think the oldest phone I've seen in regular use recently was an iPhone 5C. Which, guess what? It would be problematic with the 3G shutdown. Because while the 5C is LTE capable, it is not voice over LTE capable. So that was what I was looking for. I was like, oh, which phone will lost functionality because of the 3G shutdown? And everything before the iPhone 6 would be problematic. And of course, Apple is not clear on their page, like what will happen, but I wouldn't be surprised that because the 3G network disappears, but you still have a connection to the LTE network for data that I wouldn't be surprised that the phone will freak out and it will be no bueno, but I haven't tried it. We'll see. I'm sure we'll have reports throughout the years of those situations. But starting the iPhone 6, that's when it started to support voice over LTE, VOLTE. So if you have an older phone, you have a friend in the US that is still rocking an iPhone 4, an iPhone 5, uh, an iPhone 4S, I can understand them. It's so lovely. I miss mine. But <laughs> like their phone might just stop working as a phone. Yes. For sure, they're rocking the, like those, those cell phones. And you know what? This is when I start to not cry, but starting to be emotion, uh, emotional. Because again, my recent nerd death of the NAS 15 to 20 years is around smartphone. I'm a smartphone nerd. And what I realized, and a, little, a big portion of what made me think about this is... Thanks to you, uh, Yannick, I was introduced to the YouTuber called uh, Kurtod Redude, and he has a great passion about old tech, and especially camcorders, and I've been, during the past month, intensively watching his back catalog of videos about old camcorders, old old weird tech. Uh, Yannick also included the link in a previous uh, follow-up section from one of his videos called the Sony Minidisc Camcorder. It almost changed everything. And yes, it was a Minidisc Camcorder. Can you imagine that? It is legitimately the best YouTube channel I found last year. I would agree with you. (laughs) because, And for the main reason, because I found M539 Restoration last uh, in 2020. Ah, Because that would be a close call to it too. But I became really nostalgic because again, you know what? I can live without, like you said, without the car infotainment. Like it's just dumb mistakes. But there is a huge generations of smartphone that were impactful for what we are literally the smartphone generation that are going to be become bricks. And that brings me literally to my last news item that that made me think about this topic is Blackberries. And I know we made fun of Blackberries a lot. I know. I've, but I've used them in the, re- not in recent days, like when I was working at a cell phone carrier, I've used Blackberries. And I think that was one of my most, not the using Blackberries, but that moment when I was selling cell phones was more also my uh, humbling moment as a nerd because I was able to play with all the available cell phones on the market. I own a Windows phone at that time, which I daily drive. I 
on an Android phone and even remember the shitty ones that HTC was making that now HTC is literally dead for making sense <laughs> for like remember like Android phones from 20, 2011 2012 that's literally what I was rocking with and of course I had iPhones and I also had Blackberries but one thing that happened on January 4th is literally if you have a Blackberry today why would you but for preservation purposes you might want to have one that still works and that is no longer available to you because BlackBerry literally shut down the whole... I don't have the exact details, but the way it has been announced is literally the whole servers that BlackBerry OS 7.1, BlackBerry 10, and the three people that bought the BlackBerry Playbook tablet, like all the network and the server infrastructure on BlackBerry's server infra is all gone. And... It is deeply integrated into the BlackBerry OS that literally everything goes through BlackBerry. And it's funny because I was reading a bit about that and it kind of reminded me of Apple's deep integration with the carriers because um, I'll link a, blue, a, a post in the show notes about BlackBerry's announcement of them shutting, shutting down all of that infra that dates from September 2020. And it's funny because it made news like in the past few weeks, because everybody was freaking out and being nostalgic about Blackberries. But uh, I quote Blackberry, As of this date, device running these legacy services and software to either carrier or Wi-Fi connection will no longer reliably function, including for data, phone calls, SMS, and 911 technology. And I was like, <laughs> why, why Why is it, like, why calling through a network? It, like, even if my Blackberry is 4G capable, why calling through a carrier is blocked because the BlackBerry server is down. And after reading about it is because a lot of, you know, like sometimes you get a pop-up from your iPhone that says, oh, there's a carrier update. Yeah. Uh, which is more or less, I guess it's a map of all the frequencies that the phone can use and blah, blah, blah. Those are part of the provisioning service that BlackBerry was providing to its users for the, those devices. And that, now that's gone. So... Starting since January 5th, uh, the last update that was pushed, I don't know what it was, but the last update, like those carrier updates, meant that, okay, if uh, Rogers, AT&T, Bell don't change their network configuration, your BlackBerry might work fine. But if they do change something and then it needs to push an update to the phone, that is not available. So it means that uh, those functionality are literally gone. Gone forever. And... That's why all of these news left me with a bad taste because I'm like, we're literally, and I say we, I mean like tech people, and I include Danik and I for this. We're literally building a a world, a tech world that's going to be hard to remember. And I I recall a cathedral dude talking about that yep. in his last uh, FAQ slash live. I forgot what they called them, uh, but the last long video he had on YouTube, which was like, ask me questions from. My pe- from my uh, from people watching, and it's like we're literally making it impossible to remember to refill what it was like. And to me, it sounds like sometimes to see it was a bad decision to make a gadget like the way it worked. Like one of the recent examples on that channel about like the the Nikon camera that is a PCI MCA card. That's <laughs> why the fuck would you do that, right? Uh, there was a reason at that time, and having it functional is one way to preserve the context around that. Why 
was it intelligent at that time? Why was it important to make it work like this? Or why was it even a dumb idea in 2000 to make a camera like this? If you're not able to experience it and just relive through somebody's experience, I think we'll lo- we will be losing things around that. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about the hardware aspect because we do focus about the software and software evolves so fast and a lot that I could have done another episode just talking about software. But I felt that after watching those news that hardware is always the, a bit of the postal child because we're used, again, to go back to the camcorders, we use that, okay, I still can buy like Mini 8. I saw, I saw small cassettes <laughs> at my pharmacy that you can buy and put in camera. So if you still have a working one, it can still be used to record video footage. But if in 10 years I want to build a retrospect, if I want to build the Angspring documentary, but about Blackberries in 20 years, that will be impossible. Your window's closed, yeah. Because literally, if you want to show working device, it's going to be literally impossible to have it happen. You, you, you'll be able to talk to the people. And hopefully, you'll be able to talk to the humans before they disappear. That's another problem, too. But, but yeah, so while they were fun, kind of like... There were news that it was easy to make fun of. Oh, yeah, BlackBerry is dead because they didn't evolve correctly. I think for preservation of history and also making sure we don't repeat mistakes in the tech world, it's going to be important to understand, like, what made BlackBerry so shitty in 2012 or 2013? Like, what happened to this product that made it fail? Because you might not want to repeat the same mistake in your future VR headset, whatever, NFT thing. <laughs> and what sucks is you can't really demonstrate it. You just have anecdotal evidence of it, really, or like remaining YouTube footage. Like, I, I know, like, I, I know what uh, Cathode Razor was trying to say with, like, uh, it's becoming harder and harder to, like, remember the era we live in because right. of. Well, everything is intertwined with software and cloud services and software mm-hmm. and cloud services have an end date on them, whether you like it or not, to some degree. But yeah, it's just really strange to be in that kind of world. And I, I mean, it, it's definitely like something that I've noticed and have sort of made a stand uh, with like the reason Cezura is an offline thing is because... I well, I hate all the streaming services. That's one of them. <laughs> but the other thing is like, I think it's important that there should still be software being developed that is either offline first or just is not built for the cloud. Uh, and I know it's a weird, like, contrary position in 2022 to be doing that. Uh, but it's really like that is how you make your software have some level of longevity. And even then, like you have to play the rat race and keep up with Apple OS releases uh, nonstop and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So it's very tricky. And like, that's why in recent years I've had a lot of respect for people like uh, we I was linking you earlier this week to uh, the Tesseray uh, HTML guide on Somnolescent. Somnolescent is a sort of community of really cool people who are anti-obsolescence where they like a bunch of them have windows 2000 machines and they are using MSN messenger in 2022 because they've reverse engineered uh, MSN messenger and built a private server for it. Really? Yeah. There are people using e-machines boxes on CRTs uh, like the good old days. Uh, So if you want to go take a look at Somnolescent, there's a bunch of really cool shit on there. Uh, They're also like unsurprisingly fans of Gopher. I love the Gopher protocol. I think it's a fun Mm -hmm. thing to go hang out on uh, in 
the recent years. Uh, so I think like hanging out in those retro tech circles has really influenced me to try and make things that are that are less obsolete less quickly. Uh, and right. that's not to say like Cezura, the whole point of it is that it's for modern OSs because you can't just go back and install iTunes for on modern devices. So to some degree like that is going to have to play the modern software game to a degree. Mm-hmm. But there's still like a whole other world out there of like, well, you could be writing software for Windows 2000. You could be writing software for System 6 and just like make a choice to be using obsolete technology and try and make it work in 2021 because that's sort of the vibe you're going for. And I've been seeing a lot of that or things like uh, Becca, uh, I forgot her name, Frasachi, I think her last name is. Uh, I think you're correct. Yeah, who did a mini DV vlog a couple of weeks ago and we were mm, losing yes. our minds at how good it oh, was. Oh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, that, like there's this whole world of like going into the future with retro tech that is really interesting. And I think a lot of that is from tech people who realize there are true issues with building everything to be a cloud service. And we sort of want to hang on to that old feeling of not having to rely on cloud services so much and the sense of nostalgia for a time when the world was simpler and there was more of a sense of community on the internet than whatever like the silos of social media has become today and stuff like that uh it's just a very philosophical thing so i think like you're slowly coming over to my side where you're going to be like writing software that is going to be crazy like (laughs) i i in like the the system six uh programming thing is sort of that too right it's like uh, uh, Joshua Stein, who made the mail client and who was like making a video series where he was writing a mail client for System 6 in 2020, uh, and not necessarily the most relevant platform, uh, ended up writing a version control manager for <laughs> for the System 6 uh, because he couldn't use Git. Uh, and now he's writing BBS software for it. Like, <laughs> there are nice. these little niches that like people want to work on their pet projects on their pet platforms. And I, I would love to see more of that. Uh, I think it's really cool. And that plus the return of the personal web page, which is kind of making a comeback recently. Uh, mm-hmm. You're kind of kind of helping slash <laughs> pushing me slash I guess I can use bullying me. Yes, because you I, did I've that been bullying a lot of people recently to make websites uh. <laughs> to, to, to go forward with this. Um, no, you're making really good points. And I think I don't want to say I was not listening to you in the past. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I felt that with watching people repair old cars mm-hmm. so that they stay more or less forever with us. Uh, same things with people documenting old technology. Uh, I mentioned a couple of times in the episode, like I barely touch. For sure, it's easy to touch software and that because that's what is making everything age so fast. Because again, it's still feasible in 2022 to buy, like I said, a cassette or CD and do the thing with the physical thing. Like, just, I feel those old media will still have somebody that wants them and there's going to be a company somewhere that will produce them for it. But with software, it's just easy to make it disappear. Yeah. If you want to. So I haven't touched software preservation. I have heard that we will soon. <laughs> well, but... it's going to be a lot more targeted than... Uh, I'm going to be dealing with a specific preservation problem that I have in mind because one has come up uh, through the holidays that I'm interested in tackling on the show. Oh, which, again, it's totally fine. Yeah. And again, this one is more about 
connectivity disappearing because again yeah. we wouldn't care in the 80s about a cellular network connectivity disappearing or maybe people will tell us that like uh Things like that happen with the TV antennas and all that fun stuff. But I digress. But what I was trying to say is, we could have, I could have done another long episode about just software preservation. Mm-hmm. And I've had my moments in the recent few weeks. Uh, I think Kenning and I are also working on a project that we're not really announced yet, but uh, that is. We are? Oh. <laughs> yes, that is involving a PS2. That's the only thing I'll say about it. Uh, and people working hard to preserve the I was thinking a software project. I was confused. No, 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 no. But I mean, like, us yes. uh, kind of going through that journey together is what I'm trying to say. Even if you're more in that side of the world, like you said, than me, uh, I think we found a couple of things that we could enjoy together. Uh, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that's going to be a bit more recurring in the years to come for me, uh, because I realized that through the passion of somebody like Katarina Dude, you can find old tech that is fun to know about even in 2021. Yeah. Like, uh, there's so much weird cameras. If you love cameras, even if you're not big into videogra- videography, uh, I don't mind videos. I love it too. Uh, even if we talk a lot about photography, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff and it's crazy. Like, the, I guess I'll end on that too, but um, one of the big things is it reminded me of high school when we were doing dumb high school like mm-hmm. video video projects, and it's crazy all the things that as a non nerd at that time in my life, I now realize, oh yeah, I remember we had to deal with Firewire and play and then stop and then do the editing in iMovie six, and that it was real time and you cannot import fast enough than just the the cassette deck importing and playing the tape. And all that fun stuff. So it legitimately I, I, never made sense to me that the, the tapes were called mini DV for digital video, but you had to play <laughs> the video in real time to get them off the tape. Like that made no fucking sense to me. Yeah, and I'm kind of getting fond fond of those weird tech decisions, and I'm sure, and that's where I'll, I'll end on this. And I'm sure we'll find other like weird things, like why have car manufacturers like use. 3G modems till the 2022 when the 3G network got shut down. Uh, I'm sure we can do multiple episodes about a lot of them. Uh, but this is the one that ring bell, like there was, uh, that it close to my art, it close to my passion projects, cars, and of course cell phones. Um, so I hope maybe last note is if you're in tech like we are, uh, start to think a bit about preservation because I'm sure in 15, 20 years from now, you would like to still either be able to run the software or run the hardware project that you're building uh, in some fashion uh, or allow your customer to do so because I think the uh, our historical world will uh, gladly appreciate like 15, 20 years from now for documentation purposes and just being to be fond of such technology to be continued on the next episode uh i do have a a tangent i want to get in because i will probably get shit on if i don't mention it by the audience who knows about this shit um so there is also a japanese 3g uh cutoff happening uh it's going to be well it's it's complicated so there are two services that are basically uh on the chopping block soon okay there's iMode, which is basically the uh, the flip phone 3G. Uh, this Ooh. is a technology from 1999. Uh, it was basically like the first major mobile internet project in the world. And it is the thing that made Japan get its reputation as being the mobile phone culture that it was back in the day. 
that is shutting down. I believe it's like next month or something like that. Like oh, I, wow. I, I follow a group that is scrambling right now to download every iMode game uh, offline so that they have a backup of it. Uh, and they're doing a bunch of preservation work with regards to that. Luckily, most of them are not online enabled games. Uh, they are just okay. like applets just, or whatever. They were just distributed on the on App Store. Yes. On the IMO servers. So, yeah. So, they're downloading all of that right now. Uh, so, good luck. <laughs> uh, but but <laughs> IMO is huge. So, uh, th- that is going to be a huge loss. And I think, like, there's a huge population of older citizens who are probably hanging on to iMode phones that do not know that they are going to stop working soon, uh, which is worrisome, especially during the pandemic right now uh, in Japan. So that is a whole issue going on there. Uh, the other network... I'm happy that you added this this latter sentence because your uh, good luck was a bit of a... Yeah, good luck with that fun project. I'm happy that I'm not doing it uh, type of tone, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And the uh, other... Uh, situation going on is FOMA. So FOMA is basically the GSM 3G network that uh, Docomo has in uh, Japan. And this was sort of the network that uh, eventually uh, became home to the iPhone in Japan uh, because mm. Docomo didn't have a GSM service necessarily. Uh, so what's interesting about that is the FOMA network is the fallback if you don't have LTE in Japan uh, because... Oh you might just have a phone that does not have the correct bands to have Docomo LTE, or uh, you might just have an old phone that does not support LTE. Um, So that is kind of a risky thing because there were still, I I don't remember the latest trips, but like I I remember having a phone with LTE and occasionally dipping down into zones that had only FOMA service. I have to imagine that now that we're in the 5G world, like, basically everywhere has LTE now and you don't really have to worry about it anymore. Um, but if you're hanging on to older iPhones that were not necessarily world phones and you're, well, you're not planning to travel to Japan anytime soon, but in theory, if you were to go to Japan anytime soon, uh, that would be something you would have to work, worry about. Now, the thing is, uh, the FOMA cutoff changed to 2026. Uh, so it's not mm. happening anytime soon, but it is coming uh, with time I suppose like they didn't really want to have like iMode and smartphones die at the same time right. because it's like too much of a population that gets cut off at once. Uh, so spacing them out was the better move. I believe a couple of years ago when they originally announced it, I think the original date was supposed to be 2022. Uh, but I think that's a little bit aggressive. Um, but that is also on the way, although there's less of a risk of losing stuff because they're since it was a smartphone based thing, like the major app stores were where the apps were and you weren't really reliant on Docomo specific app stores and stuff like that anymore. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where I feel that the US carriers are a bit more aggressive because again, cars were shipped with 3G modem in 2021, 2020. But to go back to my iPhone example, like the iPhone 6 was literally 2014. 2014. For sure, there was a release until 2017. So, more or less, if you shut down your network after, let's assume 2015 plus 10, 15 years, so like 2025, 2026, like past that, or even like, I think I was reading a a document that I found that I'm not sure I should trust because all the dates in the US have changed from this document, but uh, they were talking about some of the, uh, the European carriers and it was saying... 
in where was that? It was in EU. They were saying like no shut off about like for 2G until like 2025. And I saw some dates about 3G in Europe, which was like 2030. So it's like <laughs> like that's I feel far away enough for technologies that was still so like five ten years five seven years ago. Uh, but 2022, uh, it's a bit early, and I agree that it's a good move to maybe separate the deprecation and the shutdown of two cell phone technologies that was heavily used in Japan by a couple of years. iMode, it was a huge deal, so I don't want to like downplay it at all. But like iMode is from 1999 and FOMA is like, I'm pretty sure it's like 2009. It's at least 10 years later. So to, de- to shut them both down at the same time would be really stupid. <laughs> right. And and for that reason, it would be weird that it's not keeping this 10 years more of coverage so i guess maybe the other uh moral of the story is also like plan for like when you build a new tech plan for its deprecation strategy already don't think about it when it's too late or when your business is asking you to rush it or do things it's going to be important that you the same way you architect your product the same way you architect your hardware the software architect your deprecation strategy for it I am 100% on board with that. I think that only works for like personal projects because the problem with anything (laughs) developed in a company is the people are not going to be there when it's time to deprecate. Fair. Fair. Except maybe those 2019 cars, that's kind of fucked up. (laughs) Right. Was that it about some of the uh, uh, network shutdown in Japan? Yeah. Okay, then let's wrap it up. Yeah, uh, I forgot I was supposed to be wrapping it up. Yeah, so you were supposed to be wrapping it up. The, it's been a while, right? I know, uh, I know. The show notes for this episode are going to be available at limitlesspossibility.net slash 175. You can also find the rest of our back catalog at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the podcast on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Or you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Sakarina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find Decodifier at Luconoche. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And I'm very glad to say that we will see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.